Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I am your host, Brian Jewell, and I am sincerely grateful that you decided to spend some of your time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is that we're going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. Now, today we're going to do that through a featured conversation with Andrew Davis. If you don't know Andrew, he is a marketing guru, very popular speaker to uh, organizations large and small across the U.S. who is going to help us understand how we can use artificial intelligence in a human way to move the missions of our tourism organizations forward. It's a fascinating and insightful conversation, even if you uh, aren't a technology person, even if you have never messed with AI, even if you're a little bit scared of it, I promise you this conversation with Andrew is going to help you understand it better, maybe be a little bit less scared about it and a little more confident about how you navigate the future of tourism and the relationships at the heart of our business in a world in which AI exists and can even help us do the things that we want to do. So you're going to want to hang around for that conversation. First, though, I'd love to talk to you guys about well, what's going on in the world right now. You know, normally in this show, we have a number of segments. Uh, we do some travel news at the beginning, some uh, road tips, some news from us. I come back after the interview to do a, a kind of hot minute, a hot take on uh, something that I think is important in tourism. I'm not going to do any of that today, though, because I, I want to just take a few minutes and speak to you from the heart about the situation in the Middle East. Uh, of course, nobody could have missed the news about uh, the horrific terror attacks uh, that took place in Israel uh, a few days ago, uh, and of course, the ongoing uh, Israeli counteroffensive uh, into Gaza against Hamas. And uh, there's no way to look at this uh, that is not heartbreaking. And certainly the images and the stories of the atrocities and everything are are heartbreaking on every level. And what's even more heartbreaking to me than um, just that basic uh, human understanding of the tragedies that, is, uh, that have happened there is when we stop and think about what it means for the tourism community in Israel and frankly throughout the Middle East. You know, the past few years have not been easy on anybody in tourism in any place uh, and especially uh, on international tourism. And it's only been in the past year or two that many international destinations have really got their feet back on the ground after the massive disruption that happened in COVID. And when I think about war again in the Middle East again, uh, I certainly think about all the families that were affected by the violence. And I think about uh, all the families who will be affected by the war. Uh, but then I think about the civilians who are going to be affected, not just uh, from the disruption, not just from the danger, but the civilians whose businesses and livelihoods are going to be dramatically impacted. Uh, tourism is far and away the number one economic driver in Israel. And I have to imagine that for uh, the rest of uh, 2023, certainly into 2024, tourism is going to all but stop. And that means uh, many, many hotel and restaurant owners, bus company owners, tour guides and tour company owners, people that work to support them in their businesses, all those people are going to be suffering tremendous economic hardship 
in this coming season. And while I can't blame anybody for canceling or postponing or changing their plans to visit a place like Israel in a time like this, I think it is important that we stop and recognize the impact that these events have on our brothers and sisters in the tourism community. You know, one of the things that is so difficult about uh, this profession we've all chosen is that it seems when the slightest thing happens in the world, it causes ripples in our industry. And when really big things happen in the world, it can cause disastrous consequences for our industry. You know, our friends and other businesses, they'll probably never understand that on the level that we do, who have lived through disruption, lived through uncertainty about our careers and our futures and our businesses. And so my heart goes out certainly to everyone in Israel who works in tourism and hospitality, who depends on tourism and hospitality to feed their families. But you know, it's not just Israel. I think of Jordan, for example, where I've had some incredible experiences over three different trips to Jordan, met some unbelievable people. Jordan also depends very heavily on tourism and quite a bit of their tourism, especially their international tourism, comes from people who are visiting the Middle East. They go to Israel, they go to Jordan, they may go to some other countries. Those trips are going to be impacted as well. Some of those people won't go to Jordan after all. Some of them are going to postpone their trips. Some of them might wait months or years before they come back. So that's going to be the case in Jordan. It's going to be the case in Egypt. You might even see rollover effects into places further away like Turkey, Cyprus, even Greece. This is devastating for those places. And uh, the day will come when the war is over. The day will come when peace is restored. And I hope that when that day comes, uh, all of you who do business in Israel, who have taken groups to Israel, or who have thought about taking groups to Israel and these other countries, will start those plans up again. You know, I even think about all of you who uh, run tourism businesses based in the U.S. that focus on taking people to the Middle East, to the Holy Land. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of companies in the U.S. that do that. And I know your livelihood is affected by these issues, too. You know, I'm at a, a tourism conference right now as I speak to you from my hotel room where uh, a lot of people, very smart and engaging people are having conversations around things like sustainability and community engagement and multiculturalism and diversity. And those are all really good and really important topics for us to discuss. But when something like this happens in a part of the world that depends so heavily on tourism it can really help us clarify what the stakes are and what the dangers are and how uh, the actions of a few people far outside uh, our daily lives can have huge impacts on the daily lives of people in the same business that we are all in. So uh, to all of you in Israel, in Jordan, in Egypt, uh, to all of you in the U.S. who work in tour businesses that take people there, to everyone whose livelihood is being disrupted by the violence in Israel, I want you to know that our hearts are with you. You are in our thoughts and prayers, and we cannot wait for this violence to end and for you to get back to doing what you do and making the world a better place through the power of travel. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's featured conversation. 
But I want to remind you before we get into that talk with Andrew Davis, you don't need to worry about taking notes during this conversation because I am taking notes for you. That's right. After the interview, I'm going to come back with a recap of some of the most important of the many insightful things that Andrew had to say. I'm going to give you a recap on that, but we're also going to make those notes available on the show notes page for this episode on the website. We will be right back with Andrew Davis. All right, everybody. My guest today is a media veteran who has become one of America's most sought after marketing experts. After working for both the Today Show and the Muppets, he launched his own digital marketing agency. He's written three books and created documentary films and other content for numerous Fortune 500 companies. Today, he's a popular consultant and keynote speaker who brings his insights on marketing and innovation to audiences around the country. Andrew Davis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. This is fun. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. I could probably spend our entire time together just hearing your story about your career and your time at the Muppets. I, I, I want to spare our <laughs> listeners that. So instead <laughs> of having you read us your resume, I'd love for you to give us an overview of how you became passionate specifically about marketing. Sure. Well, it actually starts at the Muppets. Um, I, I got my job at the Jim Henson Company, which was a, a dream job for me. And yeah. uh, the first show I was working on was Bear in the Big Blue House. I don't know if you do you remember that show? I don't remember uh, that one. Well, it's it was an awesome show, uh, but it had a big like walk around puppet that was a bear and he had two otters that were friends and they have a really nice song called Goodbye Moon. Anyway, the show hadn't shot an episode yet and I was in charge of the budget for where they make all the puppets. And mm. I went to my first production meeting. And, you know, they were going around the room in this big meeting and everybody was on budget and on schedule and I'm sweating more bullets thinking, oh my gosh, this is not going to be great because I have to deliver bad news. So I, you know, I deliver the bad news that we're really over budget in the workshop. And uh, the, the person in charge of the meeting just said, well, don't worry about it. I'm sure you guys will figure it out. And I thought, what kind of business can afford to like just gloss over a huge budget overrun. Like I think at the time we were $500,000 over budget and we hadn't even shot an episode of the show yet. So we was wow. a nightmare. Uh, and it was like three weeks later, I went to a meeting um, at, at, with the, the merchandising and licensing team. And it became very apparent in that meeting that the Jim Henson company is all about creating content that inspires people to buy stuff they didn't know they needed. Like no one needs a Grover plush doll or a Tickle Me Elmo unless you fall in love with the characters that they had created. And so when I was complaining that my budget was over and that everybody should be on alert and we should fix the budget, they knew very instinctually that if we don't create puppets and characters and scripts and productions that people fall in love with, we will have no nothing to to generate revenue on the back end. And it was this kind of epiphany moment where I realized, you know, really great marketing is about creating value for other people through the content and value you provide. And they're willing, if they're there, if they fall in love with it, they are willing to buy it. Uh, and so shortly thereafter, it was the dot-com boom in the late nineties. Uh, I got my first marketing job and I haven't looked back and I've always approached it with that one simple idea in mind that if, if you can create content that people fall in love with, they will buy whatever you will sell. I, that is amazing. And, you know, I hadn't even planned on asking you about that, but it, it's such a different insight from what we hear so much of 
in the digital marketing world about it's all about your you know SEO and your keywords and, and doing everything you can to manipulate people and getting them to press that buy button. Dive in a little bit more. Help us unpack that concept of making people fall in love with something as the gateway to doing business with you. Yeah, well, I think there there are three things that I actually learned in television that I think still work today um, and are unbelievably effective in building relationships with people. Uh, the fundamental principle for me is that content builds relationships, relationships build trust, and trust is what drives revenue. So, mm. you know, number one, if you can make an appointment with your audience and deliver to them value on that schedule that you've maintained, that builds a huge amount of trust. Just showing up in your inbox or on LinkedIn. If you say you're going to post new insight on LinkedIn every Thursday, you better do it because the first mm -hmm. seven th you know, Thursdays that you miss, I'm losing trust in your ability to even deliver the small piece of insight you said you were going to deliver. So you got to make an appointment with the audience. Um, mm -hmm. and, and really, it's a commitment to earn their trust and provide them value. It could be your email newsletter. You know, what, Whatever you're going to do, you just got to make that appointment and stick to it. Now, we know we live in a world where you don't have to consume it the moment it's delivered, yeah. but that trust you build by showing up all the time on a regular schedule is really what starts to build trust between you, know, you and, and your brand and your audience that you're serving. I think this, the second thing uh, is that the, it's got to be delivered from someone. And that is something that I think is very different in the digital world that probably didn't, you know, really exist in marketing before this, like there has to be a person that I fall in love with, you know, the talent mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. becomes an integral part of what I'm consuming. I mean, Brian, you're a great example. Like I listen to your podcast. I think you exude the right kind of energy. You've got this really kind of intimate tone that Thank feels you. very interpersonal for a podcast, you know? So, uh, you know, the second reason I'm listening to your show is because I like to listen to Brian. I've got to know Brian. I, I I feel like he's someone I trust. So making sure that the content comes from a person. I can't tell you how many emails, by the way, I get that come from like no reply at. Like you're trying to <laughs> right. sell me something and you don't want to hear from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, so that's the second one. And I think the third one is that you've got to, your content, the stuff you send has to have a hook. It has to be a, di a little bit different than everybody else's so that it owns a corner of their mind. And, you know, a hook is just a simple twist on a familiar theme. So if everybody else is sending out travel itineraries in exactly the same way, in the same format, you, you know, if you can twist that a little bit so that I immediately feel there's something different here, there's something fun here, or maybe there's something more serious here or something that's more targeted at me here, that little hook, that twist makes your what you're sending much more valuable. It makes it stand out and it makes it very different than everything else in the market. And I think with those three things, you've got yourself a head start in building those relationships that will build trust and eventually drive revenue. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Now I want to drill down on point number two, the the personal touch, because I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody <laughs> is talking about AI right now. I mean, I can't, I can't open a website. I can't turn on a podcast <laughs> that I like. I can't go anywhere without hearing people talk about AI. <laughs> and there are a lot of people in the travel space saying, oh, it's awesome. Just put all your, you know, have AI write all your tour descriptions. It, it's going to do everything for you. Then there are, are people like me who have made their living as professional communicators <laughs> in much the same way you have. We're like, um, hold on a second. I don't know so much about this. So I've been looking for somebody who can talk about AI from a little bit of a remove, you know, instead of saying, you know, 
we're in the weeds about how it's going to impact your business. I know that's something you've been thinking about a lot, uh, yeah. developing some content around it. So can I'll, you give us, uh, for people who maybe don't pay close attention to this, give us your point of view on the state of the AI uh, industry and, you know, whether it is going to destroy everything or make our lives magic <laughs> or what you think is really happening here. Yeah, sure. Oh, well, I, I mean, look, I like you, I think, um, and a lot of people out there, you kind of go through a roller coaster of a relationship with AI and probably have in the last nine months, if you've been paying attention or tried it, you know, you go from kind of, wow, that is magic, like unbelievable. I can't believe it can do that. Even if you ask it to write you a, a tour description, the, probably at first try, you're like, I cannot believe how pretty good that is, right? Like you're like, this is pretty decent. And it did it in a millisecond. Um, mm. So you kind of go from magical and then they'll they'll come a point, even with just a, a little trial and error, where you ask it to do something, especially ChatGPT, and it'll come up with such a stupid response that you're like, this thing is idiotic. <laughs> like, I can't believe I'm trusting it to write a tour description or a, a proposed schedule for a July tour of Italy, right? Like it just... Yeah. You're just like, this is dumb. And then you'll keep playing with it. And all of a sudden it'll come up with some stroke of genius. It will name your next tour using a, a series of words you never would have come up with. And you're thinking, mm -hmm. this is just unbelievable. And all of a sudden this fear gets you where you're like, maybe it is going to replace people that write these tour descriptions. <laughs> right. Maybe it will replace me as a tour opera. Maybe it'll, maybe, maybe travel agents won't exist. You kind of get a C that it might be capable of that. And, it, and, it, and you just vacillate. That, 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 yeah. that relationship happens again and again. You're like, wow, it's magic. Oh, it's so stupid. Oh my gosh, the <laughs> robots are coming. You know, it just <laughs> constantly goes. And so I think, I think it's hard to kind of separate yourself. And if you just step back for a minute, the first thing I think you need to realize, especially with any of the large language models like ChatGPT, um, the size of, of ChatGPT3's brain was kind of the size of a bee. So you have to, that's its capabilities. And ChatGPT4 is the size of a squirrel-sized brain. So maybe I, I thought, you know, look, at this point, um, maybe my fear of, of ChatGPT taking our jobs is a little bit unfounded. I can't imagine a bunch of squirrel-sized brains doing what I do. I think eventually it'll get to a human-sized brain. But for now... The way I've been approaching AI has really helped me. I started to think of AI as my digital doppelganger. Mm -hmm. So it's more like uh, my creative partner. Um, and, uh, uh, it, it, you know, it, when I've leveraged it that way, it's the most encouraging creative partner you could ever have, Brian. Like, you know, anytime I tell it to, cha you know, change its thinking on something, it apologizes. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking that way. And every time I say, wow, that was a good idea. Thanks for suggesting it. It encourages me back. It says, yeah, great. Like, I hope you keep mm -hmm. going with this idea. It's You know, it's hard to go to a corporate meeting these days with a bunch of team members and get that kind of support <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah. ideation. So that's the first mindset shift. I think, number one, think of it as a squirrel-sized brain that's really encouraging and helpful when it comes to creative tasks. Mm. Um, uh, the, the, well, well is, is that at all helpful? I have more that I've been thinking about. I'm happy to yeah, share. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love for you to, to drill down on that process of interacting with the AI because people who haven't used it much may think, well, I ask it a question, it gives me, it's supposed to give me a perfect answer and then I can run with it. Yeah. The reality is it's definitely a relationship. So can you kind of unpack that a little bit more? What it, what it takes to get good stuff, say from ChatGPT? Sure. 
Yeah, so we'll stick with ChatGPT. The, the first thing is, remember, pick a squirrel-sized task. Small tasks that you know have, a, you know, probably innately have a formula and you have a style or approach that's particularly yours. Like, I'll give you an example, Brian. I, I, you know, I speak at a lot of events and I shoot these promo videos for each event that I'm attending. And, you know, the promo video takes the same format. You know, the details change. Uh, the, you know, the dates change, the things I need to emphasize change. But right now it takes me about 30 or 45 minutes to write each one of those promo scripts, even though they're only two minutes long. So that's a squirrel sized task. So I, I, I go to chat and I start a new chat. That's just going to be my promo writer, digital doppelganger. By the way, I call him my digital doppelganger is Drew Dini. He's, <laughs> he's my <laughs> magical creative counterpart. That's AI powered. So I create a new chat that's just for promo writing because that's the squirrel sized task that I'm going to give it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then the first thing you need to do is tell it that you're going to be writing promotional scripts. And before you you, before you hit enter, you just tell your new Drew Dini doppelganger, digital doppelganger, that you're going to actually give it some samples. So before you start, you need to gather up your nuts up for your squirrel, okay? Mm. You need to go find all the good samples of, in my case, promo scripts, but maybe you need to get all the tour descriptions you've ever written or maybe your favorite ones that are written just the way you like to write them. Yeah. And now you're going to give those samples to your promo script writer, digital doppelganger, or your tour descriptions, digital doppelganger, and you're going to say, hey, like this is how we write, we, you and I, the, you know, Drudini and Andrew, this is how we write promo scripts. And then I'll just ask him to try write one the way I write them. And usually the first one is pretty bad. Like it mm. understands what I did. But what you want to do next is kind of help, help him nest a little bit. Because remember, the, the AI is really good at mimicking. But, but, but right now, when you just tell it to do something with one big prompt, it's using like all the information in the universe to create like C minus content, right? Mm. It's got no personality, no voice. It's like the basic stuff. And if you want it to emulate you, to mimic you, you kind of have to give it a nest where it can just use the information you're giving it, plus some outside knowledge and information brought into the nest to create what you want. So I'll say, hey, write one script. And I'm like, ah, that's all right. Now compare your script to the scripts I've written in the past and tell me what you think. What are the differences? And I'll say like, oh, now that you know the differences between the script, try to write it again. And I'll say, you know, don't do this or please do more of that. Or for example, in my promo scripts, I like to use ellipses. So I'll say, mm -hmm. don't use punctuation, use ellipses. And pretty quickly, um, like I spent about 40 hours over the course of a few weeks training my Drew Dini promo script writer doppelganger to write promo scripts. And now it's, it's, it is, it is literally like magic. He never does stupid stuff anymore. It doesn't seem like he's going to take the robots by storm. Like he's really understands exactly how I want a promo script. So I just will hop on to that promo script chat that I've started months ago and say, Hey, guess what, Drugini? We got to write three promo scripts today. And he'll say, fantastic. Like, give me all the information. Here's what I need. The event name, who else is speaking? Where is it located? And I just cut and paste that in from a system that I have. And all of a sudden, poof, like Alakazam, like magic, Drudini writes scripts exactly the way I would like scripts written if I was writing them myself. They're in my voice, my tone. He's able to mimic me perfectly. So my challenge to, to people listening or, or watching would be take it the same way. You know, mm. take a squirrel-sized task. Make sure you have a bunch of nuts that you can 
feed that that squirrel size task to show examples of the way you prefer it to be done, the way you would do it if you had time to do it or wanted to do it. Uh, and then kind of mold that nest using the information that you're feeding your digital doppelganger to produce an output that's reliably yours. And, and Brian, I'll, the last thing I'll say, I've kind of gone on and on. Sorry, it gets me excited. But uh, the last thing I'll say is I think in the future, you know, definitely for the next decade, I think we'll be hiring people that come with the AI they've trained. So you're kind of getting a, a supersized package. So if you hired Andrew today, Andrew comes with a, an amazing digital doppelganger that writes promo scripts so fast in exactly the same style using all the knowledge and information Andrew has ever garnered to come up with his own style. And, it, and he does it in tens of seconds. So I'm all of a sudden more valuable than, than just the AI alone or just me alone. Interesting. So uh, would you say that, let's say, a 30-year-old marketing or, or sales professional today needs to be investing some in developing that, uh, that AI uh, and that collaboration with an AI uh, to have that as a marketable skill wherever they go, even if they're not getting content from the AI today that they can use in their jobs today? A hundred percent. I think, you know, because it's such a great creative partner, the more creative output you generate on your own to find your own style, your own methodology, your own approach, what AI is really good at today is finding those patterns, mimicking the tone, and actually expressing back to you what you're, you're getting good at and even giving you ways to improve or think about it differently. Now, sometimes it can lead you astray, yeah. but yes, I think if you're going to be marketable in the near future, I think you're going to have to come with a package of AI trained insight that can help you do your job better and makes you a more valuable asset to the people that are, that are hiring you. Yeah. And just a note to all those, uh, tourism senior leaders out there, people who have companies and staffs, maybe you need to make sure your, your younger employees, especially who have the, uh, the excitement about this, make sure they have some bandwidth in their month and their week to play around with that. Uh, and, and they may not have something to hand you right now. That's like, here's what it did and here's how it benefits <laughs> us, but, uh, give them some time and, and they're going to find ways to move your organization forward. So, um, yeah, let me, let me just ask that Brian, cause you bring up a really important point. I just read a survey. I'm going to, I might mess up the number, but it's very close. Uh, let's say it's 74%. It's something in the 78 percentile, 74% of all employees. This is a, a survey of 11,000 employees in the United States. I think it came out in June. Um, 74% of all employees are using ChatGPT in their everyday job. And out of that 74%, 53% of them are not telling their bosses or coworkers. They're keeping wow. it a secret. So their digital doppelganger is a secret to, to everybody. So I would, I, would, I would just reinforce what you were saying by, by inviting senior leaders to acknowledge that ChatGPT is out there, assume that at least a third, maybe two thirds or three quarters of your employees are already using it to do their everyday jobs. And most importantly, you want to make them understand that it, you, they should freely and openly be using it, but they need to tell you when they've used it and what they've used it for. They need to be transparent about their use of AI in their job. And, and you'll learn a lot, but also you'll start to understand and see where they're using it. And um, maybe bring up some red flags, which we could talk about later, like things yeah. that maybe you shouldn't be doing with AI. 
Yeah, that, that is so good. Now, our specific industry, the tourism industry, um, is a very relational industry. And at the end of the day, our product is analog. It's 100% analog. Like people tried <laughs> digital tourism in the pandemic. It was a massive It was failure. terrible. It was yeah, terrible. I tried it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I think there's a lot of people out there saying, well, I have built a business on building relationships, the trust channels that you mentioned earlier, you know, my personality. Uh, and I'm a little bit concerned that turning over portions of my brand voice or, you know, my website or, or something like that to an AI might undermine the decades of work I have done in a relational business. So can you give us some ideas about how tourism professionals can balance the relational aspect of what they do with the technological capabilities we have now? Yes. The first thing we need to acknowledge is that like, the that if people are already using AI in your organization, they're probably not using it to write the tour descriptions or rebrand your website because that is high value, high risk kind of content. Mm -hmm. And we know uh, most of it, most of us know anyway. And if you've ever tried it, you've probably seen that tools like ChatGPT or Anthropics Claude or Google Bard, all of these being they all make factual errors right. and even make up stuff. So right. I think people are pretty well aware that you shouldn't trust what is just spit out inherently, right? So I'm less worried about those things, Brian. I'm more worried about the fact that I bet a lot of people in your organization, you know, even if it's small or medium size right now, are using tools like ChatGPT to respond to emails, to respond to customer reviews. Uh, to respond to customers of yours, clients of yours, relationships of yours, uh, maybe partners um, that you're, you know, you operate your tours with, um, to just transact everyday business. And I think that's, it's a great opportunity. You can be very efficient when you just ask ChatGBT or a tool like, you know, Gmail has an embedded tool or Grammarly to write a response in this kind of tone and then just send it off. Here's the, here's the risk. Um, when people realize that they've been tricked by AI, when they realize they're actually interacting with stuff that is just generated by a bot, they have the very same reactions as if they've just been, you know, uh, uh, tricked by a human. Mm. They, they get, it's, it's the inverse of what you would want in any one of your valuable relationships, whether it's a customer or a client or a partner of yours, you, you know, they feel like they've been cheated, like they've been duped. They feel like, uh, they've been taken advantage of. They feel like we were dishonest. Mm -hmm. These are words no one wants attached to their brand. Right. Um, and so the only solution I think moving forward gets back to what I was inviting leaders to do today, which is make sure that you're transparent, even with your clients or your customers, when you're using your digital doppelganger to assist with your work. So for example, if I email you this afternoon, Brian, with a thank you note, that's a follow-up to this podcast. And if I used my digital doppelganger, Drudini to help write it, it will say at the bottom, like this email was um, drafted by Andrew's digital doppelganger, AI-powered digital doppelganger, Drudini, but mm -hmm. reviewed and sent by Andrew. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's an honest way to do that, right? Yeah. Um, and now I don't think you'll be shocked uh, and you'd say, oh, that's kind of cool today. But yeah. it's getting really sketchy out there. For example, I don't, have you seen Air.ai? No. Um, it's a telephone. Okay, oh, this is amazing. Um, Tesla is using it. It's a it's a inbound or outbound call operator that's designed to close sales. And Tesla is using it 
um, in markets around the country to call prospects that decided not to fill out and finally buy a Tesla, right? Like they went through part of the process, but didn't actually purchase. And the AI sounds so realistic. It is so well executed. Uh, it is a little laggy, but they've even tr they've even trained the artificial intelligence to say, hey, sorry, the phone line's a little bit weird today. There's a lag wow. in our conversation. Oh, wow. And I have listened to recordings of this more than one, probably three or four. And I do not believe that the consumers on the other end know it's AI powered. I believe they think it's a real human. And we are on the precipice of a big backlash for people feeling cheated. You know, I listened to a call where the, the person on the phone decided to buy a Tesla by the end of the phone call. And they were, they were cheated, if you're going to take that perspective, by a robot who's been trained to close deals mm -hmm. with people on the phone. So being transparent about it, I think, will change all of that. If you say, hey, this is Bob, uh, you know, Tesla's AI robot here to call and follow up about your appointment and see how it went. I think that's okay. <laughs> like there's no need to deceive people. And I think that's what it is. It's deceit when we're not transparent about our AI usage. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Now uh, I've heard you talk about a framework that you've developed uh, to kind of help people decide, is this task something that I should use AI for? Is it something that I should do myself? Is there a, a blend of both? Uh, yes. I, I know you could spend a long time talking through that. Give us a, a really high level overview of how you think about those things and, and make those decisions. Sure. It's actually really simple. I think right now, the best way to think about it is how valuable is the relationship? Um, mm -hmm. If it's a very valuable relationship, do not use AI to accomplish a task related to that relationship. So mm -hmm. if you're about to send out a customer email blast to former customers, don't let AI generate that and then just hit send. Like that is an irresponsible use of J AI because it could destroy the relationship you have with the people you're sending it to. If it's internal and you're going to send a content calendar uh, link, you know, to your, your head of marketing, don't let AI generate the email that is then going to, you know, be sent because that is a high value relationship. Use your own brain mm. to do the highest value stuff today. Now this might all change in the, in the future, but I, you know, AI can add value to it, but not enough that it's worth jeopardizing the relationship you have with that high value target, uh, customer or client or, or partner or employee. Uh, so that's one make one side of the matrix on the other end of the spectrum, you have very low value, uh, very, you know, relationships where AI and the power of AI can you know, deliver huge benefits. Um, and in those kinds of situations, it is worth using AI to at least even experiment. So uh, let's say let's say you you decide you're going to join TikTok, and your brain has never been on TikTok. You have seven followers there. Well, that's very low value at this point. Mm -hmm. It's you can you can stand to take a few risks. You could ask AI to generate ten ideas or a hundred ideas, or you could even create a squirrel sized task that then you're going to try to work with your digital doppelgangers to come up with a TikTok strategy. And you could try some of those strategies on there. I don't think you could worry about, you know, a big repercussion. So, mm. you know, there are levels in between that, but just, if you think of those as the two opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, in the middle, you're trying to just constantly weigh how value, how much value does the AI bring to this task mm. in efficiency or, or ability um, and what is the relationship that at the end of the day that might be threatened by the use of this AI if we're not transparent about it? Um, and I think you'll, you'll learn a lot about, you know, when and where to use it pretty quickly.
Yeah, uh, that's great. Wonderful stuff there. Uh, what is the best way for people to find and follow you, learn more about what you're doing? Sure. Well, one of the easiest ways is just to find me on LinkedIn. If you search for Andrew Davis um, and author, you can usually find me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm the guy with the blonde hair and the orange glasses and a bow tie. Uh, or you can find me on my website, aka drewdavis.com. And there's links to my YouTube videos and stuff there. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of your talks and content are there on the website. Like I, I heard your AI talk on your website, the full thing, like it's not behind a paywall. It's not gated. No, it's so, not. Yeah. So people can hear, you know, your your well-developed thoughts on these uh, topics right on your website. Oh, thanks. I hope you enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it enough that I reached out to you to come on the podcast. So. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we let you go, we have uh, some final questions we ask everybody and these are just for fun. So no pressure. Um, when you book travel, are you booking a window seat or not? aisle seat always window yeah just for the view i love the view and i also like to lean against the wall <laughs> are you a plane sleeper i'm a plane sleeper i put on my noise canceling headphones and just pass out yeah not bad can't can't argue with that so uh, what's one thing in your carry-on that you wouldn't travel without oh my gosh it's probably my noise canceling headphones i call them my magic headphones actually because they I put them on and just tune out the world and pass out. It's really, it is magic. And yeah, that's, that's probably, yeah, absolutely. do a lot and of people say that though, Brian? A lot of people do. In fact, I've, I've had to start telling people like, you can't say your cell phone charger. <laughs> oh, that's another one. Yeah. Everybody else says that. Well, I have a bag full of dongles that I bring, but that's because I'm a speaker. So I have, if you ever need a dongle and you see me in an airport or a hotel, just grab me because I have so many <laughs> dongles in my backpack. I can, I can connect anything to anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely helpful. So um, if you had a free airline pass in a week with nothing else to do, where would you head next? I would go back to Estonia, yeah? to Tallinn. Yeah, Tal I think Esto Tallinn is one of, Tallinn, um, I didn't get to spend much time in Tallinn, but when I, I didn't expect much either, maybe that was the reason I loved it so much. But when I got there, I was blown away by the city. I think it's such a digitally advanced city, but it has such a great history and, and uh, it, you know, beautiful architecture and it's on the water. I mean, I just loved everything about it. I would love to go back in the summer and just really enjoy it. Wow. You are the first person to say Estonia. <laughs> I was not oh, expecting wait. that. What's the most popular destination? <laughs> oh, we hear like Italy a lot, you know, oh. Italy or, or some yeah. beach or something, which can't argue with that but yeah estonia that sounds awesome oh you should definitely go i encourage anyone it's i know it's probably not on the top of like the best travel destinations in the world but once you're there i think the old city it's just it is awesome you you will love it i'm yeah, convinced yeah yeah that's great so the last question is uh, what's something you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love oh there's a lot of those because i travel a lot by myself but i would say I went on a Bumbo boat ride. Do you know what a Bumbo boat is? No. I don't know if that's a boat. So this is in Singapore. And in Singapore, when Singapore was originally founded, the harbor was so shallow that the ships couldn't get into the harbor. I guess this is in the 1850s or something. So they created these like flat kind of round bathtub looking shaped boats to okay. get to act as a ferry for all the stuff that was coming into the port. Yeah. Well, they've transformed those into tourism boats now. And a Singapore Harbor cruise on a hot Singapore day, taking you through the old Singapore town. It's something I wish I could do with my wife. I, I think she would love it. We love boats and a Bumbo boat tour is something you can't get anywhere else in the world. 
Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Add it to your bucket list, everybody. Bumbo Add it to your bucket Singapore. list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Andrew, it's been fantastic having you. We'll have to bring you back sometime and uh, talk more all about marketing. And I want to hear more stories from the Muppets. Anytime. <laughs> this has been so much fun, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrew Davis as much as I did. Andrew is so insightful, so engaging, so cool to talk to. I could have gone on and on, but I want to make sure that you picked up on some of the really, really insightful things that Andrew had to say. So let's go through a few of them to make sure you didn't miss them. At the very beginning, when we were talking about marketing and the secret to effective marketing, Andrew said, Really great marketing is about creating value for other people through the content you provide. If they fall in love with it, they're willing to buy it. He went on to say content builds relationships, relationships build trust, and trust is what drives revenue. And he said content has to be delivered by someone. There has to be a person you fall in love with. So much good insight here. I really want to point out what he said about content has to be delivered by someone. If the content that you are sending out to your clients, uh, maybe in an email newsletter, for instance, comes from an address that just says company name, you might be missing an opportunity to build that personal trust relationship and give your potential customers someone to fall in love with. So uh, you might notice if you are on the email list to get this podcast, when you get an email about a new episode, that it came from me. It doesn't come from the group travel leader. It doesn't come from gather and go podcast. It comes from Brian Jewell. And that's because I'm trying to build a relationship with you so that you know that uh, I'm someone you can trust. And hopefully you will look forward to hearing from me every couple of weeks in your email. Well, that same principle can apply to you. If you aren't putting your own name or the name of somebody in your organization that people can relate to and feel a connection with, if you're not putting that name on your emails, signing it to the bottom of your letters, or using it in some other context, you might be missing that opportunity to build a relationship and help people come to trust you and put a face with a name. So that's a really easy tweak you can make in your marketing right now that could make a difference in your sales results. Now, when we started talking about how to think about AI, Andrew said, I've started to think of AI as my digital doppelganger. It's more of my creative partner. And when I leverage it that way, it's the most encouraging creative partner I've ever had. And he said, think of it as a squirrel-sized brain that's very encouraging and helpful on creative tasks. Now, I find this super helpful because depending who you talk to, uh, AI might uh, be the undoing of civilization or it might make life wonderful for all of us. I don't think either of those things is quite true. I do like Andrew's perspective of a squirrel-sized brain that can help you with creative tasks. And if you take that perspective with it, then there's nothing to be intimidated about, nothing to be scared about. It's really just something that you can try out when you have time to see how it might help you make your work faster, and maybe even more creative. That's exciting. Now, when I talked to Andrew about what kind of relationship humans should have with AI, he said, before you start, you need to gather your nuts up for your squirrel. You need to gather your favorite tour descriptions, write just the way you like them, and give them to your digital doppelganger. He said the AI is really good at mimicking 
If you want it to mimic you, you have to create a nest where it can use your information and some outside information to create what you want. He said, take a squirrel-sized task, take a bunch of nuts you can feed the squirrel as examples, then mold that nest using the information to produce output that is reliably yours. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you have experimented with ChatGPT, if you spent five or ten minutes with it, you may have said, well, this isn't very good. But you might be missing the real strength of this tool, which is that it can learn what you think is good and make its output better. So if you'll take that time to give it some really good examples and spend some time training it, you might find that this tool is super powerful and super helpful, but you've got to invest some time in learning to use it just like you would invest in learning to use any other tool. Finally, when I asked Andrew about how to balance AI with human relationships, he said, a lot of people in your organization are using tools like ChatGPT to respond to emails, respond to customers, respond to partners you operate your tours with. It's a great opportunity. You can be very efficient, but the risk is that when people realize they've been tricked by AI, they have the very same reactions as if they had just been tricked by a human. It's the inverse of what you would want in any one of your valuable relationships. They feel like they've been cheated. And so he went on to say, the solution is to make sure you're transparent, even with clients or customers, when you're using your digital doppelganger to help you do your work. Now, this is such a key takeaway because as we all know, the tourism business is highly, highly relational. And none of us can afford to offend the people we do business with, either potential clients or vendors or partners or people that help us or even our employees. And so uh, I think this is a great way to look at it. If you're honest about the fact you're using AI, no one is going to be offended uh, by realizing that you use some technology to make work easier. But if you're not honest about it, well, people might start to sniff it out. And when they do sniff it out, they're going to be angry at you. That's something you can't afford. So should you use AI? By all means, use it. But when you are dealing with relationships with people that matter, if you're going to use AI, be honest about the way you used it and nobody's going to hold it against you. Great stuff there from Andrew Davis. Well, hey, if you have questions about AI, about how it works in your tourism business, how it could work in your tourism business, or questions or comments about any other topic that you would be interested in hearing us discuss, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address. I would love to hear from you. And you never know, your thoughts or questions might just be the topic for a future episode of Gather and Go. And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a big favor? Would you go to your podcast player of choice? And if you haven't subscribed to the show, by all means, hit that subscribe or follow button so you get the next episode automatically. And while you're there, give us a rating, leave us a review. That is such a huge help. And my thanks goes to everyone who has done that so far. Thanks as well to Andrew Davis for joining us. On the next episode of Gather and Go, I'm going to bring you a really cool conversation with Mitch Bach, who is a travel visionary and innovator. He is the man behind organizations like Tourpreneur and Trip School. And we're going to have a fascinating conversation about ways that you can level up your travel business. You're not going to want to miss that. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go.
Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Danya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 859-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the group Travel Leader. For more information on our podcast, magazines, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. We'll be right back.